Hi, I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Hey guys, welcome back to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. We have a crazy episode for you today. It's not really crazy, it's scientific. It might be a little awkward, maybe uncomfortable for some people to listen to. So we are going to give, this is our number one disclaimer. If you have children in the car and you do not want to hear about breeding or mating behaviors, skip this episode. Again, we're going to be talking a lot about mating and breeding this episode, so this is disclaimer number one. Skip this episode if you don't want your children hearing about animal mating. Yeah, like like Jenna said, feel free to skip it if you want to, but this is something that's very scientific. Mating and courtship is very extensive and important in the animal kingdom. We can't have a conservation and animal podcast and not touch on this issue. I feel like we'd just be leaving something out, you know, so... Feel free to skip if you'd like, but you're going to miss some entertaining content, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Today we're being joined by Lauren and Sabrina. Lauren is our After Hours Program Operations Manager, and Sabrina is our Youth Conservation Program Manager, and they're here to talk to us today basically about animal sex. So welcome to the show, guys. We're really excited to have yeah, you. Yeah, all right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It is very a very fun topic to talk about, and... Sabrina and I actually um, talk about it fairly often during a program we usually do around Valentine's Day called Wild Side of Love, which is a romantic dinner and then a comedy show all about breeding and mating and the wild, wonderful way that the animal kingdom keeps on keeping on. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good time. I think some people come into it thinking it's just this lovely romantic dinner. Um, and it is that, but it is also educational because we like to talk about our conservation efforts and we tie it all in. Um, it's entertaining because we're funny. I think that helps. <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, it's a really good way for us to talk about that aspect of conservation and what our crew center does and uh, what our keepers actually do to some extent. Yeah, so a lot of people always ask us and start asking us, why us? Why the After Hours Program Manager and the Youth Conservation Program Manager? Why are we the best ones to be talking about animal mating and breeding? And it really started with our interest and our ability to share that content in really exciting and fun ways, but still keep it pretty scientific and knowledgeable. But actually, when I started at the zoo and I came in and I was so excited to be the after hours program manager, which I manage our sunset safaris and our overnight adventures, if any of you have ever spent the night at the zoo before, um, sitting on my desk was this book called Dr. Tatiana's Sex Advice to All Creation by Olivia Judson. And I was like, why is this book on my desk? And so, of course, I read it and I was like, people need to know about all of this stuff. How can we spread this? And that's where Sabrina comes in. Yeah, um, spreading the word. Uh, I actually got asked to do this uh, initially because I uh, oversee a program of 250 teenagers, uh, volunteers, called our zoo team programs, and then our intern program. And I do a lot of standing up and talking to large crowds, and I'm not nervous to do that. And I also am not nervous to really talk about anything. There's, like, not really a topic that's off limits to me um, in my level of comfort. And so I was brought in to basically stand up and be an entertainer. <laughs> That's awesome. I think I would have a really hard time doing that in front of a bunch of people I didn't know. And like we said, disclaimer number one, we are going to talk about the wild side of love. It's a program the education department did, will do again. Unfortunately, COVID is not allowing it to happen this year, but we can't wait to hear about it. I, 
I've been to that program. It was probably a, a decade ago at this point. And it was so interesting and entertaining. And I'm sure you two do a fantastic job with it. And we can't wait to hear more about that. But again, from now on, if you don't want to hear about sex or breeding parts of animals, this is your time <laughs> to tune out. And um, I want to get into that. But l tell us each a little bit about yourselves and how you got to the zoo and how you're in the, you know, positions that you are in. Yeah, you want to go? Sure. So, um, you know, a lot of people I work with here, they're like, oh, ever since I was a little kid, the zoo was my place and that's where I wanted to be. And I wasn't really like that. I love the zoo and I love animals and wildlife. But I have a psychology undergrad from Miami University. And a lot of people there with that undergrad degree um, double major. And so I started trying to find my double major and I tried sociology and anthropology and all the normal ones. And then I sat down with one of my professors, and he was like, Lauren, you really need to get your act together here. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> How dare you only have one major? How dare you? <laughs> I, you need a focus. And I was like, you know, I'm so interested in all of these things. Um, so he invited me to one of his classes, actually, that was conservation psychology. Oh. Um, so I just sat in on one of his classes, and I fell in love. And I was like, conservation psychology is, is where it's at. So, um... I'm really interested in the human side, right? Because conservation is an act. It's a verb that humans can do to help our wildlife. Um, wild animals can't go and do conservation. So I was like, how do we motivate these people to do conservation? So I graduated from Miami with those. And then they're like, okay, what's next, Lauren? And I was like... I don't know what's <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. Isn't that every college graduate's <laughs> dilemma? You get to the end of the road and you're like, what's next? Everyone <laughs> expects you to have this wonderful full-time yeah. job and you're like, you you got it solved at your, you know, 21 years of life and you just, what's next? Who knows? So um, I found out about um, Project Dragonfly's AIP program through our Cincinnati Zoo. It's a graduate program in biology. And I was like... This just doesn't sound like it could be a real thing, doing grad school at the zoo, but I applied and I got in, and that's how I got my start here and really my in. And then I did a year of service through AmeriCorps in our education department. Um, and that's how I found education, really. I never really thought that I was going to be um, in education. I thought, you know, I was going to be like one of those... Uh, naturalist out doing all of the yard work and doing everything or people out at Boyer Farm which is our farm in Mason that has wetlands and like one of those kinds of people and I fell in love with education and I was like I love taking all the research that other people do and then sharing it with everybody else and inspiring them. So I did that for a year and then I went on, I went away from the zoo for a while and then I made my circle back into the after hours program, which is really magical to be here um, after hours. You can do a lot of different things that you can't do during the day. Um, so it's really fun to piece together and really push those buttons of, can we do this at nighttime where nobody else is here and really inspire people when, when there's no visitors around or when the animals, you know, don't do those typical behaviors that they might do during the day if you're just a visitor coming in, so. Yeah, everyone I ever talked to that does the after hour programs and participates, they always talk about how cool it is to walk around the zoo at sunset. The zoo's completely empty. There's only a dozen or two people in the zoo and it's a really cool experience for sure. Yeah. 
very intimate experience too. And, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of our animals, we do a great job with our night hunters, um, keeping the lights off during the day so they're active because they're nocturnal, but we also have nocturnal outdoor animals too. And so um, they're sleeping during the day a lot of the time and then you can see those different behaviors at night. Definitely. Yeah, we see a big difference in the hippos after, you know, 3 p.m. It's way more fun to see them at night for sure. Or John the Lion's letting everyone know it's time to go home. I have a very similar path to Lauren in the sense that I also started with psychology. I feel like psychology and communications was the millennials go to just not really sure path. Um, but I have always really liked people and I ended up kind of going off on this like tangent of a variety of different industries that I worked in from brewing to uh, books. Um, I worked a lot in a bookstore for many years. Um, but it was all about the people, right? It was always that. And so I was uh, hitting a quarter life crisis, if you've <laughs> ever heard about that in your late uh, 20s. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, what is going on with my life? So I found Project Dragonfly. And I moved to Cincinnati from Baltimore. And I started that graduate program and got in with the zoo. And from there, I did all of the things. I was an intern. I was an AmeriCorps member. I was a volunteer educator. I worked Sunset Safaris for Lauren for a little while. Um, that was a blast. Um, taught summer camp, did all of that stuff. And then I ended up um, really zeroing in and helping with volunteers. Um, and originally, I was with adult volunteers and teens and interns and then I've now transitioned into just overseeing the teen and intern programs uh, in our conservation impact department. So back in the day, I was in the education department, um, which is how I kind of got into the wild side of love. We were all in that department. Um, but uh, now we have cross-department um, breeding. Pun intended. Awesome. So you guys have, you know, done a lot, it sounds like, and I think that you have really cool experiences and you get to see the zoo in a different light than a lot of the animal side of things that we do but you clearly know a lot about animals and a lot about conservation and you know I'm excited tell us you know a little bit more about Wild Side of Love now. So <laughs> Wild Side of Love was I mean it's been going on for years now um, way before Sabrina and I mm -hmm. and then you know we came in and changed it up a little okay. bit um, added our own flair, added our own, our own personal own flair, flair. <laughs> our own way to flirt, if you will. <laughs> as, as people do, as people come and go, um, but it really started as an education program, um, and then it's just such a unique program that requires so many different voices that it was a really great collaboration for the education department and events and catering and then getting the animals teams involved because as much as I can talk about animal mating and breeding, I'm sure lots of keepers see animal mating and breeding all day, every day. Um, hopefully when they want to and not when they So, and then it's just fun and interesting and I don't think a lot of other, um, there's not a lot of other content out there. And it's also a way to engage adults. So it is adult content. Um, and our education department does a really good job engaging school-aged kids and toddlers, and we have so uh, such a variety of programming. Um, and that after-hours realm is really the only place that adult programming happens. We have our garden tours and horticulture um, seminars and bears lectures, and then we have sunset safaris, which are for adults too. And so Wild Side of Love seemed like a really natural program to create 
that's like a one, fun one-off way to talk about how animals find their mates, select them, actually mate with them, and then synchronize, as we like to say, and wrap it all up so that way they can keep their species going. And what's interesting to me is that um, we, we had talked about this. There's inevitably, inevitably, uh, couples would come to the zoo because, you know, they, they it's Valentine's Day, there's a romantic dinner, there's a champagne toast that we do, they get to meet some animals. It's very courting. In the beginning, we walk around, we talk to them, there's uh, some mad libs that they do, it's like this fun thing. And then we all toast to them, and we start out talking about the beautiful uh, long-term mating for life species, right? And we find the, the couple that's been together the longest, and they we give them a gift, and it's this whole thing. And then, man, we just really go into it. And I think, <laughs> I think it, um, it, it gets the little people a little off guard. And then you kind of got to get them to loosen up. We have activities um, that we try to play, and we try to change it up every year. Um, and some of the activities, you get, the, you get those people that they've loosened up and they're like, yeah, okay, I got my champagne, I got my wine, let's do this, I'm excited. And then you inevitably always have those couples that are a little bit more reserved, but we always have really good feedback about people really enjoying what we talk about, how it's 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 informational and it's educational, and it is. I think it's another way in my mind to endear ourselves to other species, right? To just kind of get on this kind of intimate level with them, how they intimately interact with each other and us just understanding that. And so whether that's coming from a conservation perspective of trying to help them or not, I think in general conservation starts with being inspired by wildlife and just feeling endeared to them, right, and wanting to help them and wanting to do something for them. And so I think this is a way that, you know, we get to have an intimate understanding of these species. And there's some wild stuff out there. It's, it's called the wild side of love for a reason. It's wild. There are multiple times Lauren and I in our journey of just learning this content. I've been like, I don't know how many times we would pop up from our desks and I'd be like, yo, could you imagine? And then throwing out a scenario like, I'm just so thankful. I say it all the time. I'm so thankful that humans do it the way humans do it. <laughs> it's a lot more simple the way humans have crafted the love and art and finding a mate than some animals and what they go through. Well, I think, like, when you're talking about crafting love, you have your particular favorite. I really like... I I like the dung beetle. Let's start the dung, with that. I'll tell say, tell us about the dung beetle. And then I, I want Lauren to talk about her favorite because I think, I think that's a good story, too. But I the dung beetle... What I like about the dung beetle is, okay, so imagine you're in high school and you, you want to put together the most amazing prom right, for your crush, right? So, of course, naturally, you would go out and find some poop and you would take that said poop and you would use your hands and your feet and you would craft it into the most <laughs> perfect ball. And then you would take that ball to your crush and you would go, will you go to prom with me? <laughs> right? Like, that's essentially what the dung beetle is doing, right? Is, is I mean, there's it's a bit more complex than that. But that initial, like, mating selection is this complex flirting that's happening with a pile of poop. And between, proposal of a gift. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Like, look at how successful I am as a specimen based upon the spherical nature of this ball of poop. And I think... We use flowers, but, you know, 
if you're out there and you're wondering about a unique proposal, <laughs> if your love language is gift giving, <laughs> maybe tactic, you could try. I don't know where we could suggest you go looking for this poop, but it is an option now. Maybe rubber gloves. There you go. I mean, here at the zoo, we have a lot of poop from a lot of animals. Oh, we, do. we sell elephant poop gifts in our gift shop, so maybe you don't need a full pile of go. poop. That's yeah. a good compliment. But yeah. 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 a poop notebook, yes. a wad of paper. Yes. yes. <laughs> the human dung beetle. I mean, go to your crush, explain the love that dung beetles share, yeah. and give, and mm -hmm. explain that this is why. It would be the most unique proposal ever, for it sure. It would be. Or for all of you psychology majors out there, that just aren't sure if your conservation is met for you, try receiving a pile of poop. See <laughs> how you feel about it. I got some for Christmas. Perfect. I in in a in a secret Santa exchange with other zoo employees, I got a bag of Kenyan elephant poop. Wow. As the gift. For how medicinal did they purposes. Get, here? get that here. From Kenya. In fact, um, You're allowed to bring it home. Well, Dr. Lily. Is the one? Oh, of course it was Doctor Lily. <laughs> of course it was. Um, and I didn't actually ask how it okay. came to the states, um, but uh, yeah, best Secret Santa gift I've probably ever been given. You know, I'm sure there's some Fiona fanatics out there that would go for a pile of Fiona oh, poop. As crazy sure. as that sounds, definitely. I'm so disappointed. I forgot a gift for our Africa team. Christmas party where we had white we did a white elephant gift. I should have just brought somebody a bag of hippo poop. You should have put it in our thing. <laughs> and you know what? I had the opportunity to go to Indonesia and we were all so excited to hold rhino poop when we were there. We found it. We didn't see the rhinos in the wild, but we all wanted photos and everything with the poop. So maybe it's not that wild. Maybe it could be your next endeavor is collecting Fiona poop, and you know we do those raffles for her kisses. Yes. Maybe we can do some raffles for her poop. <laughs> Why not? Why not? I love it. Do you want to talk about your favorite finding a mate? Yeah. So my finding a mate is also gift giving, but the bower bird is just what fascinates me so much. Um, when I was a kid, I saw um, like a Nat Geo presentation on it, and so for those of you that aren't familiar. Bowerbirds are little kleptomaniacs, <laughs> and they go out and they find like gems and different things and bring it back to their nest, and they try to make their nest the most beautiful, so that way when a female comes by, they go, they literally go around and inspect all the different nests and decide who is the most fit mate for them. Um, so bowerbirds um, use color, and I think that's so interesting. So you might find a bird that loves blue, and so they're going to go out and they're going to pick little blue flowers. Um, they might, you know, if they live near a city or a suburb, they might go out and through your trash and they'll find like bottle caps that are blue or different... Um, you know, wrappers or different things, and they'll decorate their place, and then they come by, the females, and they inspect it, and they're like, this is good or not. So I always think back to when I was dating, and you know, you go over to um, your partner's place for the first time, <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm going to see how they live. Are they clean? Are they dirty? Do they have the same style as me? Like, what is the situation? Do they, you know, have a nice couch? Um, you can really get a feel for the type of person that you're with when you go over to their house for the first time, and I feel like bowerbirds are similar. But one of my favorites is this poor bowerbird was really in the black, and so they decided to collect poop. And so they collected <laughs> no way. all of this poop. 
and it was everywhere and it was beautiful. He created this little igloo looking thing of poop. But with poop <laughs> in the wild comes growing mushrooms. So all of these mushrooms started growing out of the poop and the females started coming through and he's like panicked going around ripping out all the mushrooms to like <laughs> clean up his space kind of like if you were like oh to go gosh. mow your yard real quick or pick the weeds out of your flower your laundry off the floor <laughs> when you go over to your partner's house for the first time always check behind the door or the closet see if they just shoved everything in there um, so he's like panicked going through and she comes through and she's just like Nah, this uh, is no. not, oh, <laughs> not the bird man. for me. He needed to choose a different color that's a little easier to find things that aren't going to grow mushrooms out of, but it's a good gift giving. It makes me think of, I thought you were going to go with that story with smell, right? That the poo would smell. Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting is uh, also sense, right? To me, going over to a new partner's place, to me it's what it smells like. Because a person's mm -hmm. house is what they smell like most of the time, right? And you know, sometimes... You just don't, you could really like someone, but you don't jive with the scent that's going on. It just doesn't on, mesh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. for keepers, because <laughs> you know, find someone who, who loves you before you come a, become a keeper, or they're okay, because... Mark's like, oh no, I gotta go get some Febreze. <laughs> for real, like, there's, there's no amount of Febreze that can take the scent no. of wild animals off of you. <laughs> yeah, or someone that just likes that smell, but it, um, that makes me think of probably the, the part of the program that I think got the most laughs was about the Argonaut octopus. Oh, yes. That is that is actually my favorite story, and this will be disclaimer number two. <laughs> Three, four. <laughs> How many ever disclaimers you need? This one's real adult content. This is real adult content. This is about body parts. Um, but the Argonaut octopus is my by far my favorite <laughs> Never story. Heard of that. Okay. Um, so the octopi are interesting. They fall into every category. Wow. Yes. There's an octopus out there everywhere that engages in something from sexual cannibalism to uh, what we're about to share to all kinds of like wow. intense weird dance strategies. It's a lot. Okay. Yeah. So if you think about us and humans, right, like we can find a mate so easily. There's so many humans out there. I know uh, everyone at home that um, does not have a partner right now is like, where are they, yeah. right? <laughs> you can go to a bar, you can go to a restaurant, you can find people at work. We you have, have dating apps, you have yeah. Tinder, Bumble, all sorts of places. But if you're in an ocean and you're in a deep sea ocean and it is dark and you cannot see you're going to have to rely on something else to find your mate. And so there's a lot of evolutionary strategies to get that way. Um, but the Argna octopus has the most interesting strategy. Um, so the male, right, he has just given up. He's like, I'm not going to find a female, and I really need to pass on my, my sperm to this female to, for my legacy to live on. What can I do? And so instead of trying to find a mate or using his scent or setting up like the bowerbird a nest for his mate to come, he simply shoots off his penis. From his body. From his body. To go out into the ocean and follow pheromone scents to find a female octopus. So But imagine. in doing so... If you were a little fish and no you're just way. swimming by, and all of a sudden you look up and there's just this missile penis shooting <laughs> <Just> across you, <laughs> releasing a pheromone himself. Um, so that way the, the female, female can find him. So imagine you're the female then, right? And you're swimming along and you're like, man, I just need to find a mate to, you know, mate with me. And she has what we call a vagina crib. 
So it is a um, little cavity inside of her where she collects different missile penises. Stop it. I have so many questions. <laughs> Me too. Okay, Me fine. Too. Go on. Go on. <laughs> Um, because she might not be fertile or ready to mate, but these penises don't come by very often, so she had to create a cavity to keep them in so she can hold on to them for later use. Um, and then she's, you know, swimming along, and she smells something, and she looks up, and she sees this penis coming for her. She then has to line up her body to receive no. the mm -hmm. missile penis. Like she catches it in her vagina yes. crib? she has to Correct. catch it. She's not able to like manipulate it nope. with her tentacles or anything? No? She has to line her body up to receive it. I'm sure she could do some manipulation, but it, you know, it's in the Dark, middle of the ocean. Dark, deep sea ocean. Yeah. If it's flying by, you're going to have to swim after it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, your face. Your question. <laughs> okay. One. If sperm is stored in testicles, do those come along with this flying penis? Yes. Yes. Okay. How big is it and how fast are we talking? Because you're saying <laughs> missile. I think it's more for a visual perspective. Okay. Um, is it floating or is it like launched? I don't actually know like, the speed. Do you know? I don't know the speed. It does It does float along. Missile, I'm being a little dramatic. Okay. No, I love um, it. It's fine. But uh, It's a better <laughs> visual, really, right, when but you're I thinking about ask. a pheromonic... Um, My question is, how's, how's the male? Is he okay after all this, or is this the <laughs> so, end of his road? So that is, that is one, there, there's a particular strategy, I can never say the name, um, in, um, in the evolutionary mating world in which some species sacrifice themselves for their future potential offspring. So in this case, the male has sacrificed his own existence by... Uh, detaching his penis off into into the ocean. You know, Mark, he lived a good best. life. Yeah. He's like, I've I've eaten my you know my fair share. I've reached sexual maturity. It's time for me to move on. I will just simply eject my penis and testicles and and let something else eat me for the circle of life. I mean, I know he's not helping out with childcare, but like, still, he's <laughs> sacrificing himself. Yeah, like, that's I a mean, pretty good dad right there. Well, <laughs> and that's the thing. There are there are other species that also uh, go to that length of um, so sexual cannibalism um, is something. This this does not qualify under that. That would be like the praying mantis. Right, that a lot of people know that the female eats, and there's one theory that is um, that the the females, the males, basically are self-sacrificing for uh, increased protein intake for the female, so that she can raise more healthy, mm -hmm. larger number of young. Right, and so I'm sure this strategy exists within the males for a reason to help with the females, essentially her being able to store multiple ones and wait until it's. Uh, Climate-wise, probably the right way to go, or biologically the right way for her to have children at that time, and so. I was gonna say, I have more questions. Yeah, have at okay, it. Okay, so how many can she store in there at a time? How does she decide which one to choose then? What I didn't know octopus could smell, let alone their penises could give off a pheromone that they could smell underwater. They probably don't smell the way we smell. There's probably some other yeah, type of chemical that receptor makes sense, for sure. Yeah, and then how do they ejaculate once they're? I mean, like, so she absorbs. And you may not know all the answers. She absorbs them. Okay. She absorbs them in her body, which is actually a pretty common thing in, in the deep sea ocean. The deep sea ocean. So there's the oh, anglerfish. So, um, so the anglerfish is fun because the females are quite larger than the males. The males are very small. The males are very, very small. Very small. Um, like less than ten percent of a female. Okay. 
And what the males do is when they're ready, they actually go and bite the female's skin and they attach themselves, they have special teeth and they attach themselves to the female. And over time, they actually fuse their body with the female. They end up shedding all of their organs. Um, they shed their skin and she kind of absorbs them into her. They have no brain anymore, no eyeballs, no organs, and just become the sack that hangs off of her of sperm. It looks like a parasite almost. It looks yeah. like a parasite. Why is he nodding his head? Like none of this is shocking him. The, no, the octopus one is out of this world. I've, I've heard about the anglerfish one. I've heard this one. Yeah, so the more successful females will have multiple sacks all wow. over her body. Um, and then she can pull from whichever one she chooses. How she chooses which ones to pull through, I don't know. Maybe she looks up and down the mail and says, you may attach to me now. <laughs> and be like, oh, you know, the one in the back left, he was a real hunk. I'm going to pull from him today. I'm not exactly sure how she chooses which one to pull from. But So that in this sense, the male's then sacrificing himself. Um, but he's kind of alive. He's just hanging out on her body for the rest of his life. To a point. Yeah. So then he's absorbed. I feel like once she loses the brain, I don't know. Um, I mean, the, yeah. the slime mold at the Paris Zoo doesn't have any type of neural connectivity. But if he's a slime mold, it's a little different. It's not a fish if we're talking like species development. But I think, um, I think it's all super interesting also in that, so you have the Argonaut octopus, but then you have the sea slug. Right, and I like the sea slug because the sea slug also detaches its penis, but the sea slug came prepared and has three disposable penises <laughs> before it becomes a problem. Right, so within 24 hours it grows a new one. Wow! Right, oh, wow. so so the first two, he doesn't have to feel so stressed about it, but the third one, game time. <laughs> Can they There's count? Is the other question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, trying to give him the benefit of the doubt there. They're just happily unaware that you know this is the final one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are some species that, you know, we've talked about this too. I'm like, how much of the cognizant, sentient aspect of these creatures is at play here um, in some of this? Because when, you, when you're reading about it, when you're going on this journey to learn this stuff, it just seems so, like you said earlier, out of this world to us because it's not our evolutionary yeah. adaptations to how we find mates. And so, yeah, it seems a little... That's the first thing, that's the first place my brain goes is like, the evolutionary side of this to me is so fascinating. How on earth do these strategies become evolved, right. ingrained into the species? Like, hey, I'm just going to shoot my penis into the ocean and hope for the best. Like, <laughs> who, was the, who was the first one to do that? <laughs> right? You know, who, who, who made that leap, that evolutionary And then it worked. Leap. It found the female, and then it happened again. And then she's like, you know, I want to store this for later. Let me create something inside my body to keep it. Or, you know, like, I couldn't store them, but you could. And so you ended up having more kids that uh, then had that ability, mm -hmm. right? So that's what, when we're talking about the evolutionary, mm -hmm. you know, the, the first male Argonaut octopus that could detach his penis he had a greater success yeah. than, say... They were all like, how did you find your female? <laughs> and he was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to die now, unfortunately. <laughs> I can't, I can't tell you my intel to you all. Oh my there are so many different evolutionary strategies, though. And, I mean, if you really think about, um, you know, animals that have sperm parts and then animals that have the egg parts, like, 
sperm. There's so many of them. Um, males can reproduce sperm over their lifetime and create millions and millions of different sperm. And so typically their goal is to spread as much sperm to as many partners as possible. Where eggs are very um, rare to come by, You're, you as a female are born with all the eggs inside your body. You can't produce anymore. So you really want to make sure that um, the sperm that you're giving to your egg is a good match either physically or um, in some species like ours mentally too. Um, so that kind of plays a big role into it. You know, males will make strategies to ensure that they are mating with as many females as possible. So there's a lot of promiscuity in the animal kingdom. Um, and then females are really trying to make sure that that mate is the best mate for their egg. Um, but then there's also strategies that come with how the, the young is raised. So a lot of birds will mate for, quote, life. Um, there are some divorces in the bird world. <laughs> there are some it's, divorces. Shh, they don't talk about it. <laughs> but it happens. <laughs> or they mate for life, but they also have side relationships. Yes. Or um, they'll mate until one passes and then they'll move mm. on. Um, and that really comes from a lot of birds' co-parents. So the male's going to stick around long enough to ensure that his young are raised in a healthy way. Um, so flamingos are, are like a keystone species, I think, when I think of mating for um, life because both the parents are very active. And pe uh, penguins, too. We all see the stories about penguins. Oh, I, I love the, the, is it Silo and Roy? Yeah. Yeah, so um, penguins are so cute. There are these two boy penguins. And at the Central Park Zoo, yeah, they they courted each other, Aww. right? They liked each other, um, and they wanted they really desperately wanted to have a chick together, um, and so they would use a rock, right? They they did they went through all of the rearing with a rock, and so what ended up happening is that the keepers that saw this and 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 noticed, and they had a, a mating pair that had fertilized an egg that had then abandoned it, mm -hmm. which can happen for a variety of reasons. So they took that egg and they gave it. Um, to this boy pair, and they, they successfully raised a chick. Baby and, Tango. That's yeah. awesome. And there have been numerous in penguins, um, even, you know, some of the Australian zoos and, and other zoos where that has been seen, both female pairs or male pairs mm. have come together and raised, and they're actually much more successful because that egg would have died. Um, there wouldn't have been anyone to rear it. If and so, like or it would have had to be, yeah, 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 it would have had to be hand reared by the keepers. Which, as much as our strategies are very successful in doing that, um, I think most of us understand that the natural way in which it, animals um, exist, allowing them to go through that process, is probably more beneficial. And so, you know, you have you they got to do that um, with these little these little penguin chicks. Which is so cute. Yeah. So we always, when we think about those sorts of things, we always talk about keepers and how important they are because um, through the AZA, so our network, we have an SSP, so Species Survival Plan, for all of the species that we have at the zoo. And it's basically ensuring that um, pairs are matched up based on genetic diversity and good matches so that way um, all species can continue to thrive and survive generation upon generation. Um, which is why we got Tucker here at our zoo to be with Phoebe. And, um, but so much more goes into that, right? Like that's a piece of paper saying this is a good match, but it really comes down to the keepers um, and watching and seeing what's really happening to ensure that's a good match. So we were wondering if you guys had any 
stories about um, making sure that the matches are good matches and how you kind of like cultivate that relationship. Do you want to go first? You can if you have someone else to uh, head. This isn't necessarily, um, this is more of an oddball kind of match in the animal kingdom, kind of like the one Sabrina's talking about. Not necessarily anything that was established by the SSP, but my favorite relationship in our department is no longer a relationship anymore. Um, our wildebeest has now moved on. He's living a happy life in West Texas, but our wildebeest and our lesser kudu, both males, Mike and Hobbs, they had this serious bromance that lasted years. and. <laughs> Hobbs would uh, kind of have his way with Mike, and Mike would just solicit and hang out, and he was along for the ride along with Hobbs. <laughs> they were just my favorite couple that we had in our department, oh, for so sure. I thought you were going to go with uh, Bubba and Nino when you started the story, oh, which Bubba is adorable. And... Bubba and Nino are our two Rubles Griffin vultures, and Nino was brought here to be a companion to Bubba because Nino's mate had passed, and Bubba has been living with our lap at face vultures um, for years now, but we they're very social vultures very So we social. were really hoping to get him, you know, someone to hang out with and I still don't know if they actually like each other I mean they get along fine They do but they, yeah, now they... they're making a nest and they get really 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 upset if you like take it apart or want them to leave their nest and it's the most adorable thing I've ever seen Bubba is definitely a male. We've um, had his DNA tested, and you know sometimes it's hard to tell with certain animals. And I think we, we weren't 100% sure the last conversation about Nino, correct? He, he's been sexed at his previous zoo, and he's supposed to be a male. And, but we have seen Nino copulate with Bubba. Yes, who is definitely a male. Yes, so who is definitely Bubba male. Yeah. lay an egg, yeah. but he builds the best nest and works all day. Yeah. And so imagine like a vulture just pushing sticks, and he try he uses a stick like a shovel almost to like push his wood shavings into like a certain. I don't even. I can't even it's, tell what it's everything. He's it's like wood do. shavings. It's we give him like stick piles just for enrichment. He brings all these sticks from the stick pile. If we give him a straw, a bale of straw or hay, whatever it is. He brings that to the nest. We give them butcher paper for enrichment with their feed or something for them to just tear up. Everything that they get for enrichment right now goes to that nest. <laughs> it's adorable. I it's adorable. Yes, they're the best. But it's so, we're just like, he would be the best dad. <laughs> um, but no, as far as like, you talked about bringing like Tucker here, for example, or animals in general. It is tough because... In zoos, we do need to make sure that it's genetically diverse and we're, you know, going off of more than just like, oh, we need a male or we need a female in order to, you know, have reproduction happen. And I always think about it like it would be kind of hard because you wouldn't necessarily be willing to mate with just anyone. So we have to make sure that we're giving our animals, you know, the opportunity. And that's where I think keepers come into play is like, we're observing them and seeing how they act near one another before they're actually sharing the same space, at least with animals that could hurt one another, right? So like John and Amani, for example, they came here and John was, you know, nervous without Amani here at first. And then as soon as he got to meet her, you know, he was just like a totally different cat and, and gained all this confidence. Whereas now with Bibi and Tucker, it's a little iffy because I think Tucker is just so submissive and such a gentleman to BB. She, I don't know if she wants him to like stand up a little bit more or if she just wants to remind him that she's the boss. Um, but so there are different 
you know, relationships where we take it slower and it's definitely our job to make sure that the animals are in a comfortable position. If one needs a break from the other, then that works. I know we had a situation which I didn't work directly with, but Henry and our last female orang that I can't uh, recall her name right now. Alex. Yes, like they, I don't know if they were here for breeding, but they didn't necessarily get along. And so the keepers paid attention to that and made sure that they were both in a happy situation and Alex is now, I've heard, thriving somewhere else. So I think that's one of the most important things with with keepers and observing sure. animals. And, you know, of course, there are recommendations and we follow those for um, lots of reasons, but we also have to be willing to kind of change that up. Um, yeah, not only looking after, obviously the animal's physical well-being is going to be usually the first thing that we think of and kind of our top priority, but we're also looking out for their mental well-being, their social well-being to make sure they're fulfilled socially as well. Yeah, very important. I like that you bring up the social aspect. One of the things that we talk about in the program is bonobos. Mm -hmm. um, one, we're very similar to bonobos, but we talk about what bonobos can teach us, and there's a big difference between bonobo's strategy and chimpanzee's strategy, and so we kind of talk about that. Yeah, so bonobos and chimpanzees are so similar. Um, bonobos reside in the Congo, so they have kind of a, a lesser space that they exist in the wild, um, which is kind of how they got separated evolutionary from chimpanzees. But chimpanzees are male dominant, right? So a chimpanzee troop will have an alpha male, um, and then the females, and then the young. Um, and then bonobos are kind of just a hodgepodge group of adult males, adult females, and all of their young mixed together. Um, and they operate very differently. So chimpanzees, um, you know, the alpha male is going to ensure that he is spreading his seed to as many females as possible. Um, so he has a lot of control in his troop, and they get very aggressive. And um, when they do mate, it is kind of, um, it's not necessarily like a ritual, but it's ritualistic in the sense of like, this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it. Um, and then, you know, that alpha male is having multiple females carry his young, right? Um, and, you know, chimpanzees are very, uh, compared to bonobos, angry. Um, and they actually start wars with each other in the wild, too. So they will actually just go to war, like do turf wars over each other, which is very interesting. Where bonobos um, are female-dominant species. Um, so there is definitely a hierarchy there, but they're more of a hodgepodge group. And actually, I got to spend some time during um, the shutdown of the pandemic in Jungle Trails. Um, so it was really cool because we had just done a February 2020 Wild Side of Love, and I learned all about bonobos and their mating strategies, and then I got to see it firsthand <laughs> in March of 2020. They're wild. Yeah. <laughs> and how wild it actually is. Um, but they're female-led, um, and they're also a free love species, um, so it's less um, controlling. Yeah, I would say it's more um, mm -hmm. the, it, their love language is more physical. Um, but it, it's relational uh, to them. It's not just for the purpose of procreating to produce children. It endears them to each other and creates these intimate bonds among individuals within the group. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's transactional, which I find um, fascinating that they were like, you know, I want your grapes. And so they arranged a deal um, that is sexual in nature for shared grapes. And, you know, I think... One of the things that I love is this, that they, they teach you, like, they're not jealous. That You don't see this, like, jealousy that exists in that species. They're just very, 
I have so much love to give, right? Um, and it works for them from an evolutionary perspective. And it's all different types of love, and it happens, um, you can see, this is how they do conflict resolution, too. So um, you can imagine as, um, as we all hunkered down during the pandemic with whomever we lived with, no matter how much we loved them, <laughs> there was probably some, some more conflict there. And so um, same with bonobos, you know, sometimes there's conflict. They eat too many grapes, or they always steal the pineapple or whatever it is. Um, so they problem solve by using pleasure, um, and that jeal t removing that jealousy aspect is really important to that. Mm -hmm. um, but they also use it um, to celebrate each other. Um, they get really excited, as, a, as I'm sure your animals do, um, around food times. Um, so that excitement is then released through pleasure. Um, so it's really any time. <laughs> all the time. There's always an excuse for it, right? Yeah, all, there's always a reason to engage in the work of pleasure, which is something that we found when we were researching different species and all this stuff, that there are a variety of species that, um, that engage in sexual intercourse, not just for the purpose of procreation, right? They engage in it just simply because it feels good and they like it. So uh, dolphins being one of them. Um, lions is another. Yep, lions are another. Um, we even have uh, different species who will do it by themselves. Um, the most surprising, I think, was chameleons will do it by themselves. Mm. Um, and then dolphins and deer and orcas. And actually, it's really important for zoos to learn which species will do that because artificial insemination, which is something our crew here works on, um, can be a lot easier if you can have them collect um, what the semen themselves rather than you having to invasively collect yeah. it from them. So um, depending on the cognitive ability of the species or you can set it up in a certain way and get really creative, you can actually teach your animals to um, ejaculate into a receptacle themselves and then you can collect that and that's really important. Like what Jenna was saying about it's not just putting, if you want to reproduce a male and a female together, sometimes that's not always possible. Sometimes, especially when they're critically endangered, there just aren't enough of them of a certain, uh, you know, male or female, or maybe they're uh, literally continents apart. And so artificial insemination is a really great tool um, if it's not possible to create a match. Um, and so it makes it a lot easier to learn and understand which animals will engage in that. Um, and then use that to your advantage. Have you heard any stories about this? Yeah, I have. So we actually have a few here at our zoo. I had that no idea. Will, um, will this is fascinating. <laughs> I did not know this at all. I did not. <laughs> so we have um, our orangutan, which um, Jenna was talking about earlier, Henry. And Henry just cracks me up because he is like, if you read a book and you got, you know, your PhD in how to keep orangutans you would not know what to do with Henry. <laughs> um, the keepers down in Jungle Trails, and I hope that they love that I say this, um, I always think it's like enrichment for them to keep their minds working because every time you think that you have a solution, Henry is like, no, I'm good, thank you. Which is why he and Alex didn't work out. He was a little nervous and afraid of her. He's He likes his own space. Um, but he engages in self-pleasure, and so um, you can use that to your advantage, and you can train them um, to do it in a certain way. 
And also in crew, um, crew does a lot of work with small cat species, wild cat species. So if you go through our nocturnal house and you see our black-footed cat and ocelot and, oh my goodness, sand cats and all sorts of species, um, crew works a lot on keeping those species in um, artificial insemination. So we have a cat colony um, in our crew building. and With domestic cats. Uh, with domestic cats, yeah, so that we can learn. Um, obviously, they have great lives down there, cat beds and different things, and they work on relationships too because um, I don't know if you've ever tried to stick two cats in one room together, but it doesn't always work out. <laughs> I know when I had my cat and I got a new cat, it was a whole introduction process, which is keepers do too. Um, but they want to capture their, their semen, and so they have taught them how to do it. And unfortunately, there's a poor soul that sits down there and watches it happen. Sometimes they can hear it happen, <laughs> and then they have to run over with a receptacle and capture it. Um, wow. And then they keep it, and then they can do research on it. Um, which research can be artificial insemination, or it can be simply looking at chemical levels, or what's important, or why is this cat more successful than another cat, etc. So... Um, doing that's actually really important research. Definitely. Yeah, it definitely is. We talked about this in a couple of past shows before. Sometimes it's easier before you move on to wild or exotic species to kind of learn and hone your practices and skills, whether it's semen collection, artificial insemination on kind of domesticated. There's easier to get your hands on a domestic cat and collect their semen. I'm not going to go in with an ocelot right afterwards <laughs> and collect semen, but I would with a domestic cat, yeah. I think for me this makes me think about in – in our research and our journey. One of the things that has befuddled me numerous times is just the anatomy differences of other species. Oh yeah, I bet you have some. So like we've talked a lot about, a lot of this is in mammals or, or but we did talk about like the octopus, but there's like, um, I'm trying to think, I like flatworms. <laughs> flatworms have a very, um, they, they have fencing penises, if you will. So they essentially, get into this fight and try to stab each other, and the one that stabs then gets to impregnate, so essentially, the other one. They're hermaphroditic, yes. so they both have both parts, yeah. um, and, you know, getting pregnant takes a lot of energy, so neither one actually wants <laughs> to get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're, they're warring it out, but just as much as you have that strategy, which, let's say, is a little bit more pan or uh, chimpanzee-like, right, you have the banana slugs, Right, which I would say are like the bonobo version in the sense of also hermaphroditic, but they decide to impregnate each other at the same time. So they just collectively are like, you do your part and I'll do my part and ta-da, now we're both pregnant and off we go. Wow. Which helps, if you think about from the species perspective, now you've got two pregnant Twice individuals as, many, yeah. as opposed to one, right? But the male flatworm gets to go run around and fight another day. <laughs> That's the difference. And so there's these different strategies to how that happens, but it's it's things like the eyeless cave insect. I didn't know this until literally yesterday. Literally yesterday. yesterday. It was our most fun fact that we've learned. <laughs> I've never heard of this. I was like, okay, so, so uh, the eyeless cave insect, the female, oh, I'll start with the male. The male has a vaginal-like sperm pouch. And the female has a penis-like uh, organ that vacuums up, like, from the sperm pouch of the male. Interesting. Right? So it's actually kind of flipped. And we talk about, like, hyenas, female hyenas have, um, their anatomy looks very masculine, right? They essentially have, like, a pseudo-penis. 
Um, and so there are aspects of that kind of even in the mammal world, but the insect world and the reptilian world and all of that, like their strategies are just... But then you've got armadillos that have prehensile penises, and that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> so prehensile means that they can move it at will. Um, so we actually have armadillos um, in our interpretive department, so we will bring them to our education to, um, programs. I and think there was a social media post about Dilbert and Juanita yes. hanging out. So Dilbert and Juanita are six-banded armadillos. Juanita has become our sleepy star, as we like to say. <laughs> she loves to sleep, and she's very cute. Um, but they have an SSP plan to mate, um, and so we are very hopeful. But with that comes questions, well, how does that even work, and what does that look like? Um, and so Dilbert has been practicing a little bit because he can, you know, smell Juanita, and he gets really aroused and excited. Um, so he has different toys that he'll practice with. And they have prehensile penises, meaning it's really long, it comes out, and it can move around. So he can... He can maneuver it no. <laughs> around and essentially reach out and try to grab and be in the right spot at the right time in the right area, um, which has definitely has an evolutionary advantage to it um, because he can ensure that it, his sperm is getting to the right place at the right time. There's other animals, too, though, that have um, different compartments and things through co-evolution. So a lot of times you think, well, don't the animal kingdom wants to mate always because they want to procreate and pass on their legacy. Um, but that's not always true. So um, sometimes species will co-evolve in within themselves. So the males might grow something to help them mate better with the female and the female might not like that and they will evolve a different chamber or something um, wow. to prevent it. So ducks are a really great example of this. Um, duck, um, often ducks have, are a little more aggressive and yeah, so their females don't want to engage in that <laughs> behavior um, and a lot of times the female don't have a lot of choice with their selection of mate. Um, so females actually have created like a maze within their vaginal canal of different compartments. So not only does the male have to catch them, but then they have to maneuver this maze and get it to the right spot. Um, so then the males were like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> we don't want this. Our sperm isn't getting to the right spot. And so they co-evolved their penises to be able to maneuver that maze. And so it can go down a different maze compartment. And if it's a dead end or gets stuck, come back up and then go down a different side until it can figure out her maze. Wow. Um, unfortunately, this has worked against them a little bit because that takes a lot of time and it's done underwater. Um, so... Now, I think the co-evolution has kind of calmed down a little bit. To one ensure. point for females. And <laughs> <laughs> this one right now. We'll see. There's still time. Evolution is bonkers, first of all. But yes, we have uh, like resident ducks that join us on the savannah like, yard every summer because yeah. they come and get free food from the cranes and whatever. But yeah, there will be one female being chased around by, you know, four to seven males. Mm -hmm. And I always just feel... So bad for that. Yeah. Well, and like with that co-evolution piece, so like the short-beaked echidnas, they have um, the females have a forked reproductive tract. So the males actually have a four-pronged penis, two of which are being used at any one time, and then they will rotate to the other two once those have been 
ejaculated. And so it's this, it's the strategy. Yeah, your face. Yeah. I wish the podcasters could see <laughs> um, the very expressive nature of Jenna, the whole talk of just, you could just see the wheels turning. This is how we sit in our yeah. office, just like um, being flagged by IT for what we're Googling. Or um, and jumping up in the office being like, can you believe? Um, but yeah, what's the, uh, what's the, do you want to talk about your journey into learning about some of this? Yeah, so part of it is, as Jenna's making her face, is just the <laughs> visual understanding of what yes, is going on. And so sometimes you need that visual. Um, so I learned that snakes had what we call hemipenes, which is a forked penis. And I just could not understand how that worked. And I was like, what if ma- So that's a reptile, right? So I'm like, yeah, reptiles are weird, sure. And I was like, what if mammals are, are not like humans and I just need to see? So I really wanted to know what a polar bear penis looked like because crew works so much on polar bears. And at the time, we had a male and a female polar bear that we were hoping that they would mate. And I was like, what would that look like? So I asked around and nobody knew. So I actually ended up reaching out to a polar bear keeper at a different zoo. And I was like, do you know what a polar bear penis looks like? And she was like, actually, I've never seen one before, but by the end of the day, I will get you a picture. So she went out. (laughs) (laughs) She went out and um, had some different sprays and things and sprayed them around his habitat as a smell enrichment, which I'm sure you all use for your animals too. But this particular smell was a pheromone-based smell to get her polar bear interested. And she stood out there with a camera that had a really good zoom angle. (laughs) By the end of the day, she sent me a picture And then she posted it to a zookeeper Facebook page and was like, oh my goodness, this is so funny. Somebody asked me for this picture. I can't believe I got one. And then the comments section just slowly bing, 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 bing with all of these bear keepers of all of these different bears and all the different types of uh, penises that different bears have. Um, So that was... So they're not very similar. They are not very similar. Interesting. Um, Well, I learned from uh, Dr. Terry Roth I learned, I was, I was, I was over at crew and I was not there to learn about this, but she had come out and we were talking about, uh, the white rhino, the Northern and Southern and the potential for artificial insemination from one to the other. Right. Um, and she proceeds to tell me the complex diversity between the different rhino species, why you could never have a Sumatran rhino and an Indian rhino because both are physically different but then just biologically how they carry is different. So even within bear species, like, we just naturally think, like, oh, it must all kind of be the same, but, you know, it's not even the same in in the primate world. Mm. And that made me realize, too, like, this is such an untapped topic, right? And I think people often operate in silos, but really understanding this is so pertinent. But, like, take primates, too, like... um, Gorillas are very small, right, Um, compared to a lot of uh, their size. (laughs) It's kind of comical how how that happens. And chimpanzees are a little bit larger, right? And so... The pado. 
Yeah, the pato um, actually has spikes on the end. Um, Why? How could that be? <laughs> <laughs> like, so that way they can hang. They will catch the female and then hold on to her, so she can't she can't get away to ensure that he has finished those his poor business. Those poor females. Those poor girls. Oh <laughs> well, we're God. thinking about it from the human aspect, right? Like to all of us, and that's yeah. you know, Lauren and I. Sometimes I'm like, I gotta not think about it like a person, right? I just gotta think about it like, what is the evolutionary reason? behind mm-hmm. why you would have spikes. As much as the person who doesn't even understand that from a human perspective, it even becomes even harder for me to understand what that would be like living with that attached to your body. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but you would think the females would be like trying to stay away even more. But I get like how it helps them hang on, but they rough. must have co-evolved. They must have been able to get away. Yeah, I and think then back to the duck like, story. <laughs> Let me evolve some spikes, and we'll see how this works. And it worked, and so that's that. Um, I hope that the females have evolved some sort of armor <laughs> to handle those spikes. And it's just crazy to think about how long all of this like took to evolve, and yeah. How well, and then you have then you have species that have evolved what I would consider the ultimate strategy to all of that, which is asexual reproduction. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't even need um, a mate. I can just do this by myself. So, I mean, we were talking like, you've got different types of, of insects for sure, and then you've got birds, uh, various bird species, so like the, the wild turkey, um, and then the uh, sharks. There's a lot of different types of sharks. What about um, Komodo dragons? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like parthogenesis, right? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, but a lot of a lot of the the downside to that though is that they're clones, right? So there's a lot of genetic oh. inbreeding mm. that happens. But the uh, is it the whip lizard? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just all female. Their entire species is female. There is no male, and so by not having to worry about another complexity of chromosomes, but to just simply have one type of chromosome means that they don't actually have clonal inbreeding. They just have more females. How? <laughs> what? What? They, they, they have, they are able to produce female eggs, like eggs that have females in them, and then they lay those eggs, um, and they come, it just, they don't have to be fertilized? Mm-mm. Nope, it just is natural within the makeup of, of how they existed. Now, the first female whip lizard to do that? I don't know. I don't know. How, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's where I'm like, I don't know. It's like I'm learning so much and equally have way more questions than I ever knew. <laughs> Welcome to our that. world. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, um, we do have Komodo dragon here. Hudo, he is a male, and so he could never partake in part of the genesis because it has to come from the female. Mm-hmm. Um, but the condor too can partake in this, and oh, so it a recent discovery? yeah. So if you think about that, people were really excited because the condor species is incredibly critically endangered, um, and so you know we I first learned about the condors in college, and I knew that that's how I got my start is that was the class I sat in on and they talked about hand raising and capturing them and it being this whole community-based conservation effort and it was amazing I was like sign me up for that I will hold a hand puppet of a condor to raise the babes (laughs) but then they discovered that they can do this and they're like this is the future we just have to figure out the different um how to get them to do it on their own so get some females and figure out what will 
make them asexually reproduce. But then they found that a lot of them, because of this, actually have a bone deficiency oh. and they don't truly make it to sexual maturity levels. Oh. Um, Is there a supplement that could? Yeah, I so mean, they're working well, on how much do we want out. to? You know, <laughs> That's a whole other can right, of worms, okay, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to figure it out. And yeah, so they were like, this could be a really great way to save this species. And then learning future, there is some definitely some challenges with that. Um, so condors will see that. Turkeys will also see that. Um, being a turkey farmer, especially here, it's domesticated turkeys. There's a lot of turkeys in a small space, right? And so they will do it. And then the farmers have to kind of figure out what to do with those turkeys and make sure mm -hmm. that the ones that they're breeding are have the good genes to pass on and weren't asexually reproduced, but... That sounds so complex. This is also complex. That would be my, that'd be my nightmare. All, all that's confirmed is I don't want to go into turkey farming, is what that's confirmed. I'm like, oh, no, that seems too hard. Like, I, I, already, I already oversee um, humans interacting on a social level with, like, a large number of them, and I'm, I'm exhausted by that. I couldn't imagine trying to figure out... Well, I think that's Which what... turkeys are friends with other turkeys? Like, <laughs> I just couldn't. I'd be like, I don't know. Who was hanging out last Thursday? I don't, I don't know. Back to what Mark was saying, it's a lot easier to start with domesticated species. So a lot of um, researchers in the zoo world started with domesticated species. So Dr. Erin Curry from Crew, who works on polar bears, she started with, um, I believe it was pigs. Um, but some sort of domesticated species, and you really learn reproduction through them because it happens a lot all the time, and there's so many of them, and then you can kind of try to take what you learn and see what works and doesn't work with the species you're trying to work but with. But it makes sense that you can learn so much about, like, reproductive in general, like, like with all different animals, domestic or not, but then it makes sense why we need all of these scientists and why the Sumatran rhinos had so much trouble breeding, you know, their induced mm -hmm. ovulators or these certain different mm -hmm. things that every bear has a different penis. Like, who would have thought? And it makes it so complicated mm -hmm. and unfortunate that humans do need to step in in some circumstances to help, like, these, you know, different species survive. But you can learn so much, but also it sounds like it's so difficult to even... You can never learn it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, every species is different, it sounds like. When it gets really complex, too, because you, you start to, from a conservation perspective, when you talk about, like, hybridization, right? That's another thing that happens in the, in the animal world, right? And it happens both naturally, but then it also happens from pressures that we've created through climate change or our existence within their ecosystems. And so then it becomes, where's that line, mm -hmm. right? Where's the natural hybridization happening versus the anthropomorphic pressurized hybridization? And so sometimes it's like with the condor, like, what is our... What is our responsibility in trying to maybe find... I love how you went very much with, like, the caring for the species. You're like, there's got to be a supplement that we could just... And then your brain instantly was like, well, is that our place? And that's the challenge, right? Like, that's the complexity of conservation is knowing um, just how much we are a part of the system just as much as we have the very unique ability to directly influence that system. And so the responsibility in that. But we hope through, like, our wild side of love that there are actionable things that our guests can take away from, you know, this very fun, entertaining program where we make them stand up and maybe throw a penis into a vagina crib. Or um, <laughs> we, we had a very failed line dance 
one time, I think it's safe to talk about where we attempted to make a line dance. <laughs> yeah, so as a courtship. <laughs> we think about humans, right? So like you, we are the same. We have to find a mate. We have to select the mate. We humans have to do a lot of weird things. Actually, too. Yeah. Mate with them. Back, so axe body spray is the weirdest. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> yeah. Why did we do that Safe to ourselves? Bones, right? Why did we do that to ourselves? It's terrible. No one actually likes the smell of axe. We have a lot of help because I don't know about you, but the pheromones that I give off in my armpits do not smell very good. I so I'm like going to go ahead and put on some perfume. I should move, I should move to a, a more open community which is, like, we just moved know. away from it right like yeah. we used to probably draw people in with our body odor but now it's like no. we've evolved to perfume but what and, strategy was that right? someone was more successful covering someone, it up yeah. as where some was, of us might actually be more su- uh, successful in forgoing the deodorant yeah. it was probably a zookeeper that started <laughs> <laughs> they're like oh I smell like elephant <laughs> Mark's just really helping it, hoping that ladies love the smell of the barn that's all yeah. he wants the future I'm pretty sure if you just got bottled it and got a really famous person to go on the internet and say that they put it on it, goop that's if next Gwyneth Paltrow is listening to this podcast <laughs> I would like to petition goop to make a pheromone based barnyard smell I heard she's one of our biggest fans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we do so much stuff. So we, um, you know, we try to smell good. We wear jewelry to try to accent certain parts of our body. We wear clothes to show that we work out and we're physically fit to be your partner. Um, we Some of on... us that don't go with the physical go with the comedy um, <laughs> as their strategy. Some of us engage in more the mental, the mental foreplay of it all. Mm-hmm. We flirt with each other, mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, we dance. So we try to, sh- in our own way, it has practice. evolved. But we try to practice and show off to potential partners how we might be when we are courting them and why we will successfully allow them to have our babies. Um, so Sabrina and I were like, okay, so we're having people, you know, throw semen into vagina crits. Check, that is a great activity for people to do. We did a scent one where they had to find the matching scent. So we did like a pheromone game where they were blindfolded and had to do that. All right, check off that game. Check off that game. We did one with mating calls because there's so many different mating calls, especially Mm -hmm. since we all just went through, well, here in Ohio, I guess, went through cicada season with all of those mating calls, right? I could never hear that mating call for (laughs) 17 years and be good. So we did that, and we were like, what if we made people dance? Yeah. And we were like, who doesn't love a good line dance? Who doesn't? Truly. Well, apparently a lot of people don't. (laughs) Doesn't everyone? I thought everyone did. Yeah, no. Well, okay. To those that are listening to this podcast that participated in that line dance, Lauren and I would like to thank you, because it really was long and kind of maybe not the best um, line dance. It was like complex and we had them go along with this video and the instructions were not clear and so <laughs> we did not set you up for mating success. That is for sure. But hopefully we did provide you with a funny anecdote that you took home with your partner that evening that you were like I had to do see do with this random stranger <laughs> and not you because the whole line shifted. <laughs> yeah, people were not a fan of moving away from their partners. Partner. Yeah. Um, which, you know, sometimes a little space can make you realize what a great partner you have. So we looked up, think we helped cultivate that relationship. If we got one group to go home and sign up for salsa dancing, I think it was them. They were like, that's, that's the superior dance style for sure. (laughs) But mating calls, I mean, that's one of my favorites. So like 
uh, humans, right, women will try to make their voice sound more feminine, where men will try to make them sound more masculine. But I like a good husky female voice, though. <laughs> like, I don't know about anyone else listening, but, like, just, like, that sultry, very sexy, husky, gravelly, like, lady voice. So if you just naturally got that, props to you, because I do think... I definitely did not. I think I sound like a 12-year-old girl when I'm recorded, but... Um, I so, think that'd be exhausting. Like, how do you hang on to that? You know, you, you catch your mate, and then you have to fake your voice. It's an mean, act. You yeah, gotta just like, keep up forever, yeah. Like, it is impossible. the joy of, like, we, we talk about this when, you know, when we're, you know, going on dates or, you know, inter-office inter friendships when we're talking to each other at lunch being like, man, I went on this date the other night. And we talk about where's that line... Right? A lot of species are just very themselves. They're very authentic in it. There's not really necessarily a game. I would say birds play a little bit of a game, maybe more so than certain other species. But I, I think for humans, there's this line of, like, when do you drop? Like, there's certain things you do in the beginning. Yeah. Like, shave your legs every day. <laughs> uh, that, I, you know, I got to the point in my life, I don't know if it's just age or confidence or just exhaustion, where I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going on my date with my hairy legs, and uh, I hope you like it, right? <laughs> like, I think that's something that comes with age um, also, too. I think that's why dating when you're younger seems so much more daunting. There's a lot, I mean, you got to put on your lipstick, your makeup, you got to make sure you look good, the jewelry, the whole thing, right? Where I'm sure you guys have some animals that have some pretty cool mating calls, or maybe during mating calls, or... Hmm. I'm trying to think, not necessarily mating calls, but I love listening to our lions, especially when they kind of reinforce their relationship. They'll call together. A lot of times when you're here, you'll just see John. He calls every morning, in the afternoon, in the evening again, but every now and then, if you're lucky, Imani will join into with him, and it's just like the most beautiful sound, hearing these two kind of sync up as they call and kind they of reinforce their relationship. They were having a good day. Yeah, they were yeah, having a good marriage day. <laughs> <laughs> I like you today. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I feel like our animals... I'm trying to think if they don't have, we don't have any really interesting mating calls, but I mean, hearing a wild owl, you know, out in nature is probably the coolest thing I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. That snowy Cold. owl. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's a snowy owl in Cincinnati, everyone. That reminds me of our, our barred owl in Wolf Woods. Um, <gasps> oh, yeah. Um, I think I know what you're going to, what story you're going to tell. Yeah. So he, it's a male and um, he lives in Wolf Woods. So he is native to Ohio, um, but he lives with us at the zoo. And part of his um, habitat has some mesh on it because, you know, he's a bird. So we wanted to give him enough space to fly around. And he has some trees in there and everything. And this is where keepers really come into play because they noticed that he was losing some weight, but he was eating all of his food. So they're like, okay, well, something's not adding up. We'll give him some more food. Still losing weight and eating all of his food. And so they're like, what the, what could be happening right now? You know, he might be sick. So they ended up doing all of these tests and different things to try to figure out what was going on because they thought, obviously he's unhealthy for some reason and we need to step in and figure it out. Well, finally they realized that a native species of barred owl, right? So he is doing his um, hooting, which is really pretty. Um, we always say it sounds like who cooks for you. So it's hoo, 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 hoo. So if you've ever heard that in your backyard or if you're going through the nature center, it's really pretty. It's a barred owl. That was a great impression, by the way. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> Had a lot of practice taking all those overnight groups through, through the area. Um, 
he was courting a wild female and she would come visit him and he'd actually feed him some of his food through the mesh. So this is adorable. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. This wild female's like, you know what? Why would I go catch my right. own food? <laughs> this, <laughs> this beautiful male, he we have a perfect relationship. <laughs> he expects nothing from me. <laughs> I, he just feeds me. He just feeds me. I can't even spend the night with him. <laughs> he just gives me food and I'm off on my merry way. So he was giving her food. And so the keepers had to figure out solutions to ensure that he was getting enough food and that either he could share with her or maybe she could go away and find a different, more suitable mate and not waste her time on, on him. But it's a really cute story and something that I'm sure in a million years a keeper would never think to think about until it's right. happening. So. Yeah. yeah, so uh, at the end of our program, we one of the things that we give out that I think is really funny is we give out condoms. We do give out condoms, yes. Yeah, and we say if you want them. We're, we don't We don't feel like you have to take them. Because um, not all relationships or styles, you know, you do you. But uh, we have them as, as an option. But they're funny. They have, like, these little cute... Yeah, so we, we on brought there. one for Jenna and Mark to see here in the podcasting room. So they are through the Center of Biological Diversity, which is a great nonprofit organization that really works to bring awareness of what actions people can take to help wildlife and then also research um, how species can ensure that their legacy is going to live on. And a project within that is actually the endangered species condoms. And I just think, can you imagine if that was your job? Like, if you are, you know, at a dinner party and people are like, what do you do? And you're like, well, I'm the manager of endangered species condoms. So they have this entire project dedicated to um, teaching people about the importance of wrapping up and making informed choices because human population is a really big piece to habitat destruction and natural resource um, usage. And so um, wear a condom or don't, but just know what choice you're making. So they come with these little sayings. So I brought one today that says, wrap with care, save the polar bear. <laughs> and it includes two condoms. And um, the- It's got a beautiful illustration of a polar bear as well. It does have a beautiful it. illustration. Like a pack of gum. I'll let you, I'll, yeah, it does look like a pack of gum. I'll let you in on a secret, that's expired. Yes, this is expired. Don't use that. Don't use that, but it comes with two, and they're very beautiful, so when people keep them by their bedsides, um, you wouldn't notice as much if you're one of those people like me that likes to go through other people's things, and you might not notice that Everyone it was a condom. Right? Everyone invite Lauren over I like went through my she's, mental checklist. She's like, checking behind your door. doors. She's she's opening your nightstand drawers. She's I open everyone's refrigerator, so it's fine. You go do that, and I'll open the refrigerator, and then we have an episode of Cribs. <laughs> I am just ensuring mate. that the partner that I choose is mentally and physically fit for me. prepared. <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> So we typically give our guests a quiz, but did you guys come up with a quiz for us instead? We do have a oh quiz my gosh, for I'm you excited. guys. Mark, finally, I hope you I'm excited. embarrass yourself at least once with <laughs> a terrible answer like I usually do. Oh, okay, this. so this is an open-ended question okay. for you all. What species do you think has the longest penis in comparison to its body size? Ooh, I, I think I know the answer to this. 
Okay. I believe it's a barnacle. It is a barnacle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know they had penises. <laughs> Prehensile oh, penises. I have so much to learn. So, <laughs> let Sabrina and I set the scene for you for a barnacle. What is a barnacle? Now I'm thinking they're more Haven't like you ever watched SpongeBob, Jenna? Yeah, Come on. Yeah, you're you're on the right track. You're in the ocean. Uh, you're not. You're not okay, so so it's imagine, a really small place. Yeah, you're in the ocean. They um, only have projectile penises out there because they can't find anything. But it's so small. So, I'm so close. Yeah, uh, imagine you it's go a into nice way of not the quite. ocean. The ocean bar, right? Um, you just you just go in and you set yourself down, and that's where you're gonna stay for a very long time. Yeah. So since you can't really move, you need an evolutionary advantage to help reproduce, and so. Um, so they have this prehensile penis that it's uh, ten times their body size, um, and so they can cast out this penis um, and kind of like a fishing line for a mate, and they wave it in the current, and it reaches out and touches and fertilizes their female, the female organs of, of their neighbors. Right? You said ten times their yeah, body so size. Yeah, so would you like to guess what that would be like in comparison to the average size human male? I don't think I want to know. <laughs> I don't think I do either. So like 50 feet? 55 like feet? Six, an average male is what, like six, six I think, feet tall? I actually think they're closer to 5'10". For all of you that round up, it's fine. But I think 5'10". Five, five <laughs> uh, also, well, I'm not going to get into why you feel the need to do that. <laughs> society has taught you that you need to be taller. But um, no, uh, I think it's like 5'10 or something like that. But um, it, it's the equivalent of a bowling alley. Wow. wow. That'd be a lot of energy to grow that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine blood flow, you'd pass out, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't think that's um, But I don't think barnacles have to worry about that. So Now, what we were hoping would maybe trip you up is the blue whale. So the blue mm. whale does have the largest penis of any species, but in mm. proportion to its body size, because their, their penises are somewhere around 10 feet. Yes. Um, but it's blue whales are giant. Right. Yeah. You can You're talking about 100-foot animals. Right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can see one at the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museums. Um, because it's the biggest out of oh, all of them, just not comparison to its body size. I have a question. Did you share the picture of the polar bear penis with Dr. Curry after all of that? I feel like no. she needs to know. I think that we did. So it kind of, it's very shocking the way it looks um, when they are excited. <laughs> I like how this is stuffy. <laughs> well, she's looking at my condom pack with the polar bear, and she's thinking, how would a polar bear wrap it up? Yeah. <laughs> to save the polar bear, yeah. To save the polar bear. Um for all of our listeners that have dogs at home, if you ever give your dog one of those like white chew bones and let them chew it for a few hours, that is what it looks like. Interesting. It's that's a it's textured is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine it to be for some reason I think it looks wet, but it can't actually be wet. But that's kinda how it looks, a little like wrinkly and at this textured. point is anything not possible. Like, four <laughs> yeah. prongs, what was that? Yeah, the echidnas. Okay, oh you ready God. for question two? Yes. Ready. Okay, so uh, we thought we'd give you, so hippos hide their genitals, um, uh, but uh, their testes are up inside their body rather than on the outside uh, in a scrotum. So what other animal is also like that? So I'm going to give you to pick between two. Mm. The sloth or the pado? Sloth. Just talking about the pado earlier with the spiky penis, I can't imagine that being up inside yourself. So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess sloth as well. Correct. 
Correct. So a sloth also has hides its um, genitals inside of it, which makes it really hard for keepers to know exactly what they're working with. Even with blood tests, you can look for certain chemicals, but you might not totally be sure. So Mo, our sloth, was actually brought to our zoo as a female. That's how I knew the <laughs> and um then mo got a mate twix who was supposed to be a male and then all of a sudden switched and mo <laughs> turned out to be the male and twix turned out to be a female so luckily now mo has lightning and we know for sure that lightning is a female and that mo is a male um, but it makes it really tricky because you can only do so much testing to know exactly what um, you need to make a match. Um, reptiles have a lot this issue too. They and um, birds. birds and birds. Yeah. Birds. Mm -hmm. It's a, It's always like, has it laid eggs? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a little like, oh, I don't know. Especially if they don't have any sexual dimorphism, which means that the males look different from the females. So if you think about um, like a peacock, the male is the, the green, bright, beautiful colored ones where females are brown. And that is so females can camouflage when they're taking care of their young and then males can show off and then get their mate, right? With hippos, there's some sexual dimorphism there too, so you can figure it out. They're a lot the males are a lot bigger than the females. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tucker's gigantic. Yeah, Tucker's he's definitely a boy. My goodness, he's massive. He, he has an interesting behavior, doesn't he? Don't male hippos do something? Yeah, that's, yeah, he's giving me job security, all of us here in the Africa department, and they dung shower. So as he defecates, he is flinging his tail as fast as he can and throwing poop literally everywhere on the ceilings, and there's no... No, so safe place. I have a story for you. Several years ago, we had an intern group. Uh, a, a part of the internships is that they get to work in different area, animal areas, right? And they get to learn all this val valuable knowledge about becoming a keeper and entering this field. And uh, But they also get to go see other departments. They got to do kind of like... Um, little tours of other areas and interact, and there was a whole lecture series and thing that they did. And, and uh, there was a group that was behind the scenes with Hippo, and at the time, the hippos were in the outdoor habitat, and so the interns were brought into the indoor habitat. And so we were looking at the pools and the space that you have on the inside. And I, I noticed these hippos, or not these hippos, these interns leaning against the wall. And my brain was like, that's poop. You're yeah. leaning against a lot of poop. I mean, you can get it so clean, right? But it's concrete wall, right? And so it's kind of one of those where I was like, huh. And so I looked over at, I forget who on the staff was talking to the interns, but I was, I was like, so tell me about this strategy, right? Um, or like, you know, the spring. And so whoever the staff member was, was very gracious to understand what I was getting at and then mentioned it. And I watched these interns jump away from the wall <laughs> so fast into the middle of this room. They were like, oh no. Um, and it was just funny to watch. It's, uh, yeah, it's something that, you know, as I, I'm sure you guys have this when you get new species or, or you start working with a species that you're maybe don't have as much experience with that you have to kind of learn these things, mm -hmm. right? Like, do you, do you guys ever not fill the, in the new, the new person? Do you ever have like a new person come <laughs> in and you don't, right? Like you don't let them know, like, I don't think we're that mean. <laughs> yeah. We're usually pretty civil over here. But it is funny because sometimes you have to like dodge out of the way. You'll be cleaning something yeah. and then you just hear the sound. 
and your brain's like, Jenna, stop what you're doing. What's that sound? And it takes like three seconds, and you're like, ah, and you have to run away. <laughs> like, I wasn't over in this department while Henry was here, so Tucker's my first experience working with a male hippo. And I thought for sure you guys were exaggerating. I was like, they're being dramatic. It doesn't get on the ceilings for real. Like, no, it's on the ceilings. Like, watch your head as you're walking in because you could have something falling down off the ceiling from you. <laughs> and it dries. And is it good like luck? Stuck. I mean, is it course, good luck right? if hippo poop falls on you from the ceiling, like a bird be. pooping on you? We only say that to make people feel better right. about being really pooped on by a bird. <laughs> going back to our poop thing from the dung beetles, you guys could put some like canvases up and make some art. <laughs> <laughs> We sometimes like a new goal. I'm gonna like glue it. Hippos <laughs> can't get it. We could paint Tucker's tail so it comes out with color. <laughs> Gosh, it's the new splatter paint. Well, we have that with um. So some of our interpretive animals uh, do paintings. Actually, a lot of our animals at the zoo do paintings, and people have known this. But um, we have a, a red-footed tortoise named Roberta. That um, bless her, I love her, but. She poops a lot. Um, Similar to you, you hear a noise, and then they actually curl their tails inside their shells normally, and then they actually use their tails to scoop it out of their shells. So if you hear a noise and see a tail, it's coming. <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a little snort. She gives a little a little snort of warning, right? And you're like, oh, I'm going to have to clean that up. It's really great when you have really little kids because not only do you hear the sound and you know what's happening, you know the minute she walks away that the kids are going to know. But then the minute she walks off is when it hits everyone, the smell, the right? Scent, yeah. But when she paints, sometimes she paints, poop gets in Ooh. on her paintings. And so you end up with this very authentic, signed by Roberta painting. <laughs> so you could have a for sure done by Tucker yes. painting. Definitely. We actually gave Roberta paintings away at the end of our adult sunset safari season this year because our poor instructors had to clean up so oh much poop <laughs> from all of them. And, you know, it's pretty messy. And so I wanted to give them something to thank them for this crazy season that we just went through and how successful it was and fun, um, which we do go um, behind the scenes in Hippo during the adult sunset safari. So hopefully we'll see some poop there too this season. <laughs> oh my gosh, if a guest gets sprayed by poop, I'm going to lose Dreams it. Dreams come true. Dreams can come true at the Cincinnati Zoo. It's Free of charge. It wasn't even an extra add-on. <laughs> but I was like, you know, what is their favorite animal? And I couldn't figure out that everyone has their own. And I was like, what is their least favorite animal? Let me make a painting of that for everybody. Oh, <laughs> no, Roberta like that. I, 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 love, I love Roberta. I think she has, she, she prefers, she prefers, if I remember correctly, if, no, I don't want to misspeak because it could be Tater. One of them prefers to, to poop in the water dish. Mm. And and I think it's cleaner. It doesn't get stuck. In I their think shell. it's Tater that rep that prefers the water dish. So then Tater doesn't necessarily always poop on program because Tater. And so when you've got when you've got the two going out and you're working with them, Roberta gets a bad rap because she feels freer in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I don't. Why would I do it at home? That's her safe space. Like, that's yeah. <laughs> like, how many people? Let's be real here. How many people have a bathroom? in their house when you have like the multi half baths that like that downstairs bathroom is the one <laughs> you know 
You don't do it in the upstairs bedroom. You do it in the in the basement bathroom. You know. Um, I always think about that every time I go to see a house. You know, when I was like house shopping. So she's going through fridges Frid- and bathrooms. Yeah. Like, who's got a toilet in the basement? Because we know what that's for. Because why else would you have a toilet? In the basement? I'm going through the bedside table. Yeah. We're never going to be invited to any party ever again. Good thing we're friends with each other. <laughs> Lauren and I are just always out together. Um, Actually, we have zoo friends, and zoo friends understand yes. us. And we have a yeah. lot of facts to bring to our dinner party. So, we, so we have a final question for you. Um, and this has a little recording involved. But we want you guys to come up with what you think a fox mating call sounds like. Like I need to just make a sound right yeah. now? Yes. Yeah. It's just like the what does the fox say song. That's where usually we... <laughs> where a lot of adults go. They start with that's that. A, yeah, that's a safe one. way yeah. to get hmm. out of making an actual call. A fox call. I don't even know I don't, I'm not familiar with a mating call from a fox, but I've heard foxes in the woods behind the, my house, and they well, sound like screaming, dying humans. Behind your house, like you would think. You're sitting there with your cell phone, like, waiting to do, do I call nine one one? Exactly. Is that a fox? Exactly. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like nothing comes to my mind right now. That's. I'm gonna say it's like a scream, like a, a really shrill, like, <laughs> like something like that. Okay. That's what I'm gonna go with. That's a great guess and That's a great. I mean, that was... That's my impression. Very I'm gonna go with something lower because that'll be easier to do. So, um, or more surprising now that I know. I don't know. What I don't know this for a fact. This is my theory. You don't have to make a sound. You could say that they're silent. That could be that's a strategy. True. Oh, that's they, it. They're they're silent. silent. Don't tell me you guys are tricked. <laughs> they're like, we just have to ask a trick question okay. to get this idiot to make something. <laughs> 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 This is a game that we played during Wild Side of Love. We did um, whales, koalas, foxes. I do think whales were my favorite to watch people. Most people know like a whale call, right? And so mm-hmm. they launch into some type of Ace Ventura esque like, like, oh, like Dory. <laughs> like Dory, that's how I was thinking. Yeah, finding Dory. <laughs> Um, but we have a little recording, so we're going to play it. So this is an actual fox making a mating call for you. It'll take a couple seconds, and then he'll start. To be fair, the setup is he's courting a dog that has now rejected him. <laughs> Mark was pretty close. He's <laughs> <laughs> very He's very upset. He's trying. So the video is him trying to court a dog, and the dog um, gets called inside by his owners because there's a fox hanging out with him. And the fox thinks he's going to come along, and he turns around, and all of a sudden the dog's not there. And he's like, Was I just rejected? (laughs) Wait, come back. Um, So foxes and actually cougars have a very similar Mm. scream. Mm. Um, So if you live where um, you have native cougars, a lot of times the police get called because it sounds like a a shrill feminine voice getting murdered, basically. harmed in some way. (laughs) And... um, Hopefully, like, that is a good thing for cops to know when they arrive at your door and you're explaining the sound and you have woods that line, or else they're going to be looking for a mysterious woman in peril that doesn't exist <laughs> because it's a cougar trying to mate with each other, so. Oh, wow, stumbling upon that. 
That'd be the highlight of your day. That would be the highlight of your You're day. You're like, well, it wasn't a lady, luckily. <laughs> once again, whoever figured that out first, <laughs> props to them for figuring that out. I'd take the owl in my yard, the owl sound. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. much more pleasant. Yeah. I do think about uh, songbirds, though. I do, I do not always love, I like songbirds, I love songbirds. Um, if you haven't listened to Molly's podcast about um, the, the bird strikes and, and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you should go listen to it. But I think um, songbirds, though, during mating season, it becomes very loud <laughs> before the sun comes up outside my window, and I'm trying to sleep, <laughs> and they're having a very, you know, they're flirting. It's a bar. It's a bar, which then gets me to my one final story that I would like to share that is my favorite thing that I've come across, and that is the crocodile party. Do you guys know about this? No. Uh, no, not okay, at all. Okay, so crocodiles get together for one evening, one very debaucherous, exciting evening. So imagine going to, this like... This is a true story. Yeah, your village dance hall, right? And they all show up, and everyone brings their friends, or they come alone, and they all mingle, and they party, and they dance, and they roll around, and they just... Uh, while they're promiscuous, they tend to have the same mate every year, but they'll meet with others. And then the next morning, as a celebration of said amazing party, they all just bellow and have just a big cheer. They just cheer for each other, and they make this deep bellowing thing, and then they go on their way, and that's it. I like to say the bellowing is letting the rest of the animal kingdom know that babies are a coming. (laughs) Beware. Beware. (laughs) Successful night. You have been warned. Stay cool at the watering hole. The <laughs> crocodile folks. party. Yeah. That's amazing. The crocodile party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It brings a whole new meaning to uh, when someone shows up on a date with crocs. <laughs> I'm like, huh, is that your strategy? <laughs> it might work for me. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys so much. This has been so fun, and yes. I've learned so many new things that I feel like I need to go research, but probably shouldn't. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, I don't not know. Your work... Actually, at this point, IT, they don't... Um, it doesn't phase them. No. What did what did I Google the other day? Who, oh, which animal species had the fastest intercourse? Oh, I yes. never did get an answer. Oh. I'm still in search. So if anyone knows... <laughs> Chimpanzees can be three seconds, is what we learned. Wow. But there was debate in the comment section as to yeah, the accuracy so. of that information. But yeah, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of really great books out there. Some are very informative and some are a little bit funny, like the one I talked about in the beginning of the episode. Um, But it's just a really important um, thing for people who work with animals to know about and explore. And whether you're in research from crew and you're doing artificial insemination or you're in education trying to inspire people to uh, wrap it up and understand (laughs) their impact on the environment, right? All the way to you guys who have to watch Tucker and BB and make sure that they are a good SSP match and a good... um, partner match for each other too there's a lot that goes into it for sure so you've mentioned a few things but if i were going to ask the final question what can i do would you say get these amazing creative wildlife condoms (laughs) what, what can i do to be a good steward of the earth yeah that's a great question i think yes definitely starting with making informed choices Um, So that's kind of an umbrella. You can make an informed choice about getting these wonderful condoms and deciding whether um, you want to start your family or not. Or um, you can make informed choices about 
um, your natural resource uh, usage, and there's so many things, big and small, right? I always say um, you want to start with one thing at a time, and then once that becomes routine, you can add another thing. So a lot of people, especially since it's um, January, February, people have these New Year's resolutions, and they might be like, I want to do zero waste. That's too hard to do all at once, right? Um, so you might go out and you might go to the zero waste store downtown and you might buy all of the stuff and then it's too much and get overwhelmed and you don't use it. So we say start with one thing at a time. Maybe it's bringing two reusable bags to your grocery store and then once you get comfortable with that, bringing all the reusable bags. And then once you get comfortable with that, maybe it's figuring out what can actually be recycled through Rumpke or what needs to be specially recycled and what we have to pitch. Because um, as much as we like to campaign on commercials that everything can be recycled, it really is specific to your locality. And um, so just be more informed and then make those small choices, get comfortable with that and then add something else in. But also come to our programs. Yeah, definitely. We have so many programs. <laughs> the Wild Side of Love just like a couple times in February typically or is it year round in the future? So in the past it has just been in February, but we really want to make it a program that happens a few times throughout the year. Great. Um, because it doesn't just have to be tied to Valentine's Day, right? Sure. It's a really fun program to do. And not, it's not everyone's cup of tea to come listen to animals. And mating seasons happen year round depending That's on true. the species. Just because we we do February. That doesn't yeah. mean there's there's sweetest day, there's which is sweetest candy day. day. That's how I think about it. It's just one of the candy holidays <laughs> in October. In also, October, right? yeah, tapping yeah. it on. But come to an adult sunset safari or family sunset safari. Those are going to start back up in April um, for our season. Um, if you have a group like scouts or schools, overnight adventures. If you have a teenager and they're really looking to get an in, I'll let Sabrina talk about what they can do. Yeah, the Zoo Teen Program application is open right now until the end of February. So February 28th is when it closes. So if you go on the Zoo's website, scroll down to Volunteers, click on that, and then click on the Zoo Teen tab, and it'll talk about it. But um, we're, you know, a whole youth development program, but we have kids that want to be marine biologists, they want to be vets, they want to be zookeepers, um, and they sometimes leave our program going off being environmental lawyers and pediatricians and uh, environmental engineers. And so even if you just come into this, I, I hope the takeaway and us talking about all of this is that something about what we said made you interested or curious or kind of like, wow, that was neat or cool or I want to look in more into it. or And then you just feel endeared to like a species or a conservation effort. Um, I think that's another thing that you can do is to look into how you can help even if it is Sumatran rhinos or it's polar bears and that doesn't feel like your backyard to what you can do to help songbirds like cardinals mate with how you fill your bird feeders, right? There are different things that you can do in your backyard. We didn't even get into frogs and mating calls, but like, you know, <laughs> Google that, right? Go on that journey and, and feel inspired to do that. And then also join and volunteer with groups that are looking for that kind of help or sometimes groups need donations or certain types of things. I know you guys had Allie on here talking about or, um, and they do a lot of reproductive stuff with their spay and neuter programs. And so, and we do a lot with the cruise spay and neuter programs. And so there are ways that you can, you know, uh, have a part in all of this, um, if you will, uh, that is comfortable with 
your informed decision and in, in what works for your life. Yeah, we always say like success to us isn't having a group of 40 people come in and all going out and being the next most amazing naturalist, right? It can't you, all be Jane. We can't all be Jane Goodall. <laughs> it's you going back to whether you're an electrician or a secretary somewhere or a banker and really, or maybe you're in finance and looking at your organization and finding ways to make your organization more sustainable and bringing your voice to the table to advocate for those changes. Yeah. That's what success is to us. Yeah, I love it. That's a great idea. I mean, we all have our own role to play. Mm -hmm. Sabrina, I can personally advocate for the zoo teen program. I started as a zoo teen many years ago now, but fantastic when did you program. I mean, it obviously would have been before I 2000, took oh, I want to say it was either 2009 or 2010. So definitely yeah. before me. Yeah. I feel like I would have remembered you. Also, <laughs> you'd be very young right now, but I would be applauding your success as to <laughs> <laughs> your, academic role, your academic and career achievement in that short span. Um, yeah, that yeah. is like a prime a zoo teen success story yeah. of if you if a teen wants to be a zookeeper, right? Mm -hmm. You did the program. And yeah, we're not even necessarily a zookeeper, but like you had said, just involved in conservation or mm -hmm conservation minded I guess like for me it was something that just kind of reinforced that this was where I wanted to be I thought so and then I volunteered here and was like this is it for sure but right and what I love about our program is like in any of our programs our education programs or, or those kinds of things is it, it brings a sense of community right you find people that you know you know our office is uh I don't know. I love our office. Like our education and conservation impact departments are on the same floor, and so we get to hang out. But no one, no one was upset that I was firing an avocado popper this morning. To just like I walked in and was shooting avocados <laughs> in the office. Just it's an open concept office school of <laughs> teens, kids, and adults. Adults, yeah. But um, it's just you get to find like you kind of find your people. You find people that that we'll have these conversations with you like we had um, today and be curious about it and, and want to be like, wow, that is interesting and that's fascinating. And so the teens get to have that space. Um, whether this is something you want to do for a career or not, it's that we all love the zoo and we love uh, our ecosystems and we love wildlife and we love our part that we play in that. Some of them love sustainability. Some of them love pollinators. Some of them love wolves or like whatever, but it's that... It's that we all come together because we love this and we just want to figure out and come up with solutions collectively that we can take back into our, our other lives outside of here as to what we can all just do better and how we can inspire others. And so I think that's what we hope to get out of our wild side of love and talking about all of this because it's hard when people, I don't know if people have asked you this, people would be like, I'm like, oh, I have a wild side of love program that I'm, I'm doing. And they're like, what's that? And then I tell them and they're like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, there's a little, like, what does that have to do with your job? And I was like, a lot. Because we all, you guys do it from the podcast to keeper chats to other things. You guys have gone and done interviews and done other things where it just doesn't seem like that's necessarily your day-to-day, -day, maybe what you're always doing, but it still is an impact on what we as an organization are hoping to achieve in our community and, and also provide fun. Definitely. Yeah, the education and outreach is so important for sure. Yeah. If there's you. anything you take away from this podcast, there's no shame in Googling polar bear penis size or <laughs> images or anything like that. <laughs> if you're curious, look it up. <laughs> but maybe also read the comments. Don't just assume the first thing you read is accurate. We try we do try to vet the sources that we pull the information from. Are they scientific magazines, articles? Is it Dave Attenborough telling us 
on a documentary because I trust anything that he says. <laughs> it is clearly accurate. You know, like, um, is it Thane's 92nd Naturalist? Right? Vet your info. But there's some good stuff out there. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you. This was And we hope you all have a wonderful day. Yes, Thanks. thank you guys so much for joining us. Until next time. Thanks. <laughs>